And so, uh, let's continue in, in Luke. And last week we talked about with, the idea that God came to earth to be with us. With us. And that changes everything in our lives. And today we're talking about God is with us even in the waiting. Even in the waiting. That oftentimes, yes, God moves, God, God is part of our lives, God loves us, God wants the best for us, but oftentimes there's a season of waiting for us to really recognize and see what God is already doing, the very things that we may not even see with our own eyes. And so, today, as we talk about Advent, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, there's, in the, in the church, Traditionally, uh, a candle, and we'll, we'll light that at the end of the service, that represents uh, each day, each Sunday of Advent. The first was hope, and today's peace. May you find peace in our waiting, whatever you're waiting for. So the word of the Lord says this, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, verse 38. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all, the, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. God, thank you that you meet with us, that you are with us. And as we talked about last week, you meet us exactly where we are at. And some of us today, where we're at is in the season of waiting, of uncertainty, of not knowing what uh, is before us. And so for those of us in that season, Emmanuel, will you be with us even in that and find hope and transformation in that? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Maybe some of you guys can resonate with this, but a few days ago, uh, I was at a grocery store down the street, uh, Safeway, for those of you that are familiar with the store, uh, and some few of my friends in, in my small group, we call this particular Safeway the Unsafeway. Uh, and if you've ever been there, you would know exactly why it's called that. Uh, but we went there, or I went there to, you know, pick up some things for dinner. Uh, and I was in line, and I realized the line was pretty long. And again, at this Safeway, that there's a reputation for that. And so uh, I sat in line with my uh, basket with food in it. And I did what everyone else was doing while they were waiting to check out. And maybe you can guess on what that was, was I pulled out my phone. And I, was the only, I wasn't the only one. Everyone in line, all of us were just kind of, you know, perusing, reading the news, social media, whatever it is. We were doing that to kill time until we get uh, to the front of the line to check out. And I recall just like looking around and thinking, this isn't unique to our society today. This isn't unique to me. This isn't unique to us. This happens a lot, myself included. We do this quite often. And may not be at the grocery store, or maybe it is. Maybe it's in the lobby waiting for an appointment. What do you do? You take out your phone and you just kind of kill time. For some of us, myself included, we do it just even unintentionally. 
So you do it while you're waiting in the lobby. Some of us, we do it while in a meeting, waiting for it to be over. Some of you guys are a lot slicker than others, and some of you guys are not. Some of us, we do it in the restaurants while waiting for our food. Some of us do it while in the restrooms, while whatever. Uh, the point is, oftentimes, when we're in this place of waiting, whether it's at the restaurant, whether it's at your home, whether it's here or there, uh, we, we oftentimes take out our phones And I would say this, yes, this is a problem, and I don't want to get into the weeds of technology and social media, but the point is this, in our culture, we do a terrible job of just waiting. For a lot of us, even this idea in the word waiting conjures up a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear, a little trepidation, like whatever it is, there's something about waiting that just uh, is unsettling for us. And so rather than waiting, rather than being, uh, to wait for our turn and whatever that is or to be still, we want to avoid that waiting and still be doing something so we don't have to feel what that waiting actually feels like. And oftentimes, again, in our culture, the idea of waiting often feels, I would say, feels annoying at best. And for some of us in our circumstances, annoying at best, but feels like hell at its very worst. Because waiting does all different things to us in our bodies, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And I would argue the reason why is because this idea of waiting that spurs in so much anxiety and restlessness is because anxiety is often tied to uncertainty. Waiting, I should say, is often tied to or associated with uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty, being left in the dark, even just for a moment, that creates so much unrest, uh, so much restlessness in our souls. Uh, I mean, I would say we've all been there, right? Like, maybe you've applied for a job before, and, and the response is, thank you for your resume, we'll call you if we decide to move forward with you. So there's a season of waiting. Maybe you went to the doctors, you got some testing done, and now you're waiting for the results. Maybe you've been severely hurt by somebody. This is a lot of stories that I come across. Maybe you've been severely hurt by somebody, and now you're waiting for your heart to heal, for life to move forward. Maybe you're waiting through a physical injury, and you're just sitting there not being able to move, or you can't do things that you used to, and so now you're just waiting for what, for who knows how long. Maybe there's a disruption in your family, spouse, kids, whatever it is, and you're, and you're the, as a family in this season of waiting for what's next. See, we've all experienced waiting. And in that space of waiting, there's uncertainty, and uncertainty brings about all different sorts of feelings and emotions that typically aren't good. And so this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? What in this season are you waiting to hear God from? What, are you, what kind of answers are you waiting for? What kind of healing are you waiting for? In what ways are you waiting for God to show up? Because I would say Advent, if there's any other season in the world, any other season on the calendar, any other day, if you are waiting, this is the season to have hope that Christ will come into and invade whatever circumstances that you are waiting for God to show up in. What are you waiting for this morning as you sit there? 
for yourself, for your family, your loved ones, your city, your country? What are you waiting for? See, in life, there will always be seasons of waiting. We know that. The problem is we're terrible at it. We're absolutely terrible at waiting. And we see, gratefully, many stories in the scriptures of, of characters, significant characters, all over the Bible that have, that have waited. In fact, again, I'll say this again, every significant figure had a period of waiting in the scriptures. <clears throat> Jesus waited in the desert before receiving his mission. Abraham and Sarah waited for a son, waited a long time. Jacob waited for Rachel. Joseph waited for redemption as he was accused and going to prison, all these things. He waited for God to come through. Paul waited in his blindness to convert from ones who killed Christians to become one and to share the good news of the gospel to others. But out of many stories uh, uh, of waiting, there's one person I, I don't want you to miss. And it's a story that we've just read, this little piece, this short few verses, all about this prophetess named Anna. And oftentimes when we read through the birth narrative of Jesus, we oftentimes read right through it, but it's so jam-packed. You see, in Luke chapter 2, Luke speaks of, of two people who, who prophesied when Jesus was born, took Jesus and prophesied who Jesus was, what Jesus would do, and it was almost like a dedication. It was almost like, uh, first it was this man, this older man, it says, named Simeon, who, who held Jesus. Uh, and if you've ever seen The Lion King, have you guys ever seen The Lion King? Okay, one of my favorite movies, and even the new one was really good, it was amazing, uh, Maria, my wife, might tell you that I cried. I didn't cry. I had allergies during that movie. But it's one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite Disney movies. Uh, and so I remember, you know, the scene where Simba was, was dedicated, right? Like, you can imagine, this was kind of Jesus' moment. Jesus was kind of the Simba who, who was up and was being dedicated. And so uh, Simeon did that. And then next to Simeon was also this woman named Anna. And, and I love this part of scripture because in these few verses, uh, the Bible made sure to, yes, elevate Simeon, who's, who, who dedicated, who prayed for, who prophesied uh, of Jesus when Jesus was born, and immediately talked about Anna, who was just as important, who was a prophetess. And there's a few things I want you to know about Anna. Yes, she was a prophetess, one of the highest offices uh, in the early church. Prophetess, prophets, uh, they were people that heard directly from God. And this was a gift. Not everyone heard directly from God, but prophets, prophetess, they heard directly from God in order for them to teach, preach, to lead, and to share what God has said to them to others. Sometimes it was really good news, sometimes it was really bad news. Uh, but all that to say is that 
Anna was elevated to the position of prophet, prophetess. Uh, it says that she was advanced in years. That's a very nice way to put it. Uh, I chose this translation. Different translations uh, say very old. And so I don't want any of us to ever describe someone as that. Uh, but because she was advanced in years, uh, she had this level of, of wisdom and maturity uh, and this true authentic understanding of who God was. That will come into play in just a moment. Uh, and then... She was married for seven years and widowed until she was 80, 84 years old. Now, uh, scholars are like split down the line on what this means. Uh, yes, she was married for seven years. Then was she married uh, and then widowed up to 84 years old or 84 years after uh, her husband died? We don't know. But all that to say, the big idea is that she was married for uh, a short amount of time, but widowed for a very, very long time. Very long time. Way more many years of being a widow than of being married. And during that time, widows especially uh, were one of the most vulnerable people group uh, in the first century. Oftentimes safety was, uh, was a product of being married, especially for women during this time and day. And so as this woman who was not only unmarried but widowed, uh, she was vulnerable. Uh, she was marginalized, oftentimes oppressed. And you have to understand, like, when they say that they were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, it wasn't just, like, this esoteric ideology. It was that these, the, the, the Roman Empire was oppressing uh, the, the Jewish citizens during this time, and Anna being one of them. So Anna was facing all sorts of different kind of marginalizations, oppression, uh, and really kind of outcasted from society, not only by the Roman citizens uh, and the Roman Empire because she was a Jew, but also because she was a widow. And not just a widow for a short amount of time, but for a long time, around 80 years, if not more. She was a daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher. And we'll get to that in a second, where it was kind of an insignificant tribe that she was from. So you can imagine what Anna was going through in her own life. That not only in her life was she being oppressed by the Jewish, uh, by the, the by the Roman Empire, she was seen she was seen as a lesser as being a, because she was a widow. And uh, the Bible makes it clear that she's from uh, the tribe of Asher, a northern kingdom who was taken over by the Assyrians, a lesser, not a very prominent or a reputable tribe. Here is Anna. This is Anna. This is your prophetess. And lastly, yet it says in the midst of that, Anna never, ever left the temple. She was there day and night. It says she was there worshiping God, praying, fasting, giving thanks, and then sharing the good news of what she saw when she saw Jesus. And I would say this, if anybody... If there's anybody in the scriptures that waited, that waited and waited well, it was Anna. Because even through these many, many years, 84 years or whatever it is, these decades on decades on decades on waiting for a Savior and Messiah, finally, she sees him. She waited. She gives thanks. She gives thanks. She celebrates. 
out of everybody, it says out of everybody that was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, for whatever reason, Anna was the only one, or at least the very first one to recognize that this is Jesus, the redemption of Israel. And and if anyone had a reason to not see that, to move away, to, to, you know, to be hopeless or, or to be upset or to be bitter, it was Anna. Look at everything that she went through all of her life. She, out of anybody, had the reason, the best reason to say, you know what, forget it all. And yet, she is described as someone who would go to the temple every single day, praying, worshiping, fasting. And she waited for decades for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Jesus was born, Anna sees him and says, here he is. The redemption that we all have been waiting for. Jesus. This waiting. I mean, if anybody waited well, if anybody waited in the way that I want to wait, even in the midst of my circumstances, it's going to be, and I want it to be, like this prophetess, Anna. There's a few things I want to talk about that she did. First is this. While she was waiting, she was not distracted. While she was waiting, she was not distracted. Here's what I mean. The temple, it says, where she went every day, it says there was prophet Anna, the family tribe. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years. Uh, and then she never left the temple but worshiped. She never, never left the temple, but instead she worshiped, prayed, fasted. And see, what we have to understand about the temple is not like today where we like, go to church on Sundays. It's like this, this building. And yes, in the first century, at the temple, it was a building. But the way that they viewed the temple was where God actually lived, where God was found. See, at the temple, there's the inner courts, and there's the Holy of Holies, and uh, the tabernacle, and that's where, G- that's where God was. And so if you want to commune with God, if you want to meet with God, if you want to hear from God, if you want to be in sync and in line and to feel the presence of God, you would go to the temple. So when it says that, uh, that Anna went to the temple, it wasn't that, oh, Anna was a great religious person, went to church every single Sunday or Saturday for them. It was, no, Anna went to the temple because she knew that is where God would be found. The temple was where life was found. The temple was where the sacred was found. The place where uh, humanity and God can be one. She did not depart from the temple. She did not depart from the presence of God. And again, if anybody had a reason to depart from God, if anybody had a, had a reason to doubt God, to be angry with God, to be hopeless of her idea and understanding of God, it was Anna. In her age, as a widow, as a woman during this time, coming from a less than reputable tribe, she could have fallen to the many lies. Again, lies, I'm repeating myself, lies one might believe about themselves in this life circumstance. She could have easily said, I'm too old, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy. Too many things have gone wrong. I'm alone. She could have said all these things about herself. Instead, she was described not as that, but as someone who prayed, who fasted, and who worshipped. In our seasons of waiting, 
like Anna waited for decades and decades for Jesus' return, for the hope of Israel. In our seasons of waiting, don't let lies seep into your head. Easily Anna could have done that. Because oftentimes when we're waiting, that's kind of a miserable time, right? It means that you have a lot of time. Oftentimes it means you're alone or maybe uh, you're by yourself with your own thoughts. And, you're, and while being alone with your own thoughts combined with a state of nervousness or anxiety, maybe you felt this, but your mind begins to wander, right? Like that's what happens when we, when we have to wait and there's uncertainty. We kind of sit in our waiting, and our mind starts to play tricks on us. There's lies that start to seep into our minds and our hearts. And, and unlike Anna, who, who, who was devout, who went to the, who showed up, who didn't depart from what God had to say, not just in temple, but the presence of God. Anna did not depart from the presence of God, even though she easily could have. She said, no, I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to give thanks. But for a lot of us, including myself, when I'm in the season of waiting, I don't do what Anna did. I do the very opposite. I let lies seep into my head and say, well, maybe Maybe I am not good enough. Why, why am I, this happens a lot, why am I doing the job that I'm doing? I, I'm not holy enough. Well, of course that person would be angry with me or not like me. It's because I did this. Like, wh- whatever it is, instead of being like Anna, we oftentimes let lies seep into our head. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, when I was working out, I had one of the worst injuries that I've ever had. I, I went to the doctor and, I, and I, tore, I ended up tearing my adductor, okay? So now we're best friends here, okay? That's my growing, okay? I'll just, let's just throw it out there. And, and I, I remember exactly when, and I remember exactly how it felt, and I remember everything around me, and it was just downright painful, and I remember just dropping. It was in the gym. I was, you know, doing a lift. And then I just fell back because I was just in complete agony. And after a while, I was get some ice and whatever. And I miraculously, uh, I, I made it home. And I called the doctor. And if you know me, you know that something is wrong uh, because I never, ever call a doctor. Not too long ago, someone asked me uh, who my primary care physician was. And I was like, what is that? Like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, But I remember just calling the doctor and the doctor saying, okay, it's kind of busy right now. You'll have to come in next week. Like, next week? Like, okay, I have no choice. Like, uh, okay, I'll come in next week. I made the appointment. And here I was injured, in agonizing pain, and now I have a whole week I have to wait to figure out what the answer is, to what, figure out what happened and what the solution is. I have that one week, and my mind starts to play tricks on me, like, that's how we need surgery. And then if I need surgery, uh, then I'm not going to be able to be active, you know, for months, maybe years. And if I can't be active, then I have to actually watch what I eat, and and I'm not going to be able to eat donuts. Like, I remember that's the very first thing that came to my head is that I'm going to have surgery, I'm going to be, you know, in recovery mode for months, maybe in years, and if that happens, then I can't enjoy my very favorite foods, maple bars. That's what I was thinking. That's where my mind went, and it was crazy. And for many of us, we sit there, we, 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 we don't know how to wait well. We don't know how to be not distracted. Oftentimes we are distracted. 
and these lies seep into our heads. It will never get better. Things will never change. The worst is going to happen. And this is so much part of, our, uh, of the fabric of our humanity, of our brains, that clinical psychologists has done research after research on this, and they have a name for it. It's called catastrophizing. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've done it in our lives. We catastrophize things. And according to one clinical psychologist, uh, catastrophizing has two parts. The first part is uh, just predicting a negative outcome. Just predicting a negative outcome. You may not know why. You may not have all the data, but you just predict a negative outcome. And then concluding that if or when that negative outcome happens, it will be catastrophic. For example, I injured myself. The negative outcome I just envisioned was that I'm going to need surgery right away. The catastrophe in that is I won't be able to eat maple bars, right? Like that's pretty catastrophic for me. The human brain, we do that because we get distracted so easily, unlike doing what Anna did. And even this... uh, author and kind of popular therapist nowadays, her name is Brene Brown, uh, suggests that this is, the, the catastrophizing is the human dilemma. That we hate, absolutely hate waiting. And we hate uncertainty so much. We hate not knowing the end of the story so much that we would rather make up the end of the story, of our own story, even if it's bad. We'd rather make up a a bad ending to this uncertain story in our lives because having a bad ending is still better than having no ending at all. That's what it means to catastrophize, and we've all done this. Some of us, we call it self-sabotaging. We self-sabotage relationships. We self-sabotage jobs. We self-sabotage friendships and, and family or whatever it is because in our minds, we may not know how it's going to unfold, uh, but we're just going to assume for the worst and just, it's going to be bad, and therefore we're going to just kind of self-destruct. And I love what Brene Brown says about this. She says, the most dangerous stories we make up a.k.a. lies, the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. We must reclaim the truth about our lovability, our divinity, and our creativity. In our waiting, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what we're going through, because again, Anna had every reason to fall into lies, into distraction. Yet she waited faithfully through prayer, through worship, through thanksgiving. May we, may you, in the times of waiting, wait well. May we wait without distraction, being careful of the dangers of the lies that may seep into our hearts and just catastrophize, make up the end of the story. That's not true. Because Emmanuel, God is with you. And secondly, she waited well. She waited well. And a worship prayed fasted every night. When I think of Anna 
and I think of this, the, the circumstance and the predicament that she was, it just feels like, I don't know, I don't know for sure what Anna's personality was like, but she comes off as someone who kind of found a rhythm in life, kind of, kind of found her groove. She was cool, calm, and collected. She had her daily rituals, which uh, early church mystics and, and, and this latest author named John Mark Comer would call uh, rule of life. Like she found her rule of life. She, she gave her every day knowing what she was going to do and, and how she was going to worship God. Like she was calm. She was meek. I mean, I, I, love, I love this attitude. I love this personality that Anna had. The other day, uh, Maria and I, a lot of these gym stories, that sounds like so weird. Okay, so we were at the gym, okay? Like, uh, it's, a bit, it's a big part of my life because I, I coach. Anyways, we're in a circle with a group of friends, uh, and the question of the day was, if you could be anything in terms of job, your vocation, uh, skills, money, whatever, all that stuff is not a factor. Just what would you do? Like, and obviously, uh, as predictable as it was, people were like, you know, I'd be a famous singer, or I'd be a famous musician, famous athlete, or whatever it is, and, and I would be an author, and, and of course, I, I would say, you know, I would be a pastor, of course, like, I got my job, dream job, um, and actually, if I, I didn't say anything, but had I said something, first, it would be pastor, because I love what I'm doing, all right? Uh, second, I was telling Maria, I was like, I don't want to be like special forces, like SWAT team or something like that. I, I don't know. Okay, obviously you guys don't see it. Okay, all right, that's just that's just me. But then I remember as we get to the circle, there was this lady who was older. She had grandchildren. She had children older older than myself, and uh, it was her turn to speak and say, like, what would you want to do? She said, you know what? I would want to be someone that, I don't know if works or volunteers, be someone at the rest stop so I can pass out coffee and say hello to the truck drivers. And and I thought that was so fascinating, not just fascinating, but so admirable and and so amazing because while myself included, all of us, we gave these answers of like all these like, ah, famous this person or rich person, that person or this, you know, well-known athlete. She says, you know what? Nah, I just want to hand out coffee to truck drivers and just say hello and maybe smile and make their day. See, when I think of someone like Anna, I think of someone like her. And when I think of her, I think of someone like Anna, who wasn't hurried, who knew how to wait, who didn't let anything come in the way between her and just her calling. And yet many of us were on the opposite. When we wait, we don't just wait well, cool, calm, find a rhythm, rule of life say hello to truck drivers. Like, that's not us in our waiting. Matter of fact, we do the opposite. If waiting is about being still, many of us, we want to run and we want to hurry. We want to hurry out of our waiting season. And again, this book, and I highly recommend this, um, 
It's called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of, of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I can pass this around. Uh, Annie, this is yours next. And so uh, I promise that to her. It's a, it's a really good book uh, around hurry, around our society, and, and the things that distract us. And oftentimes this is us. Like we, we hurry. We, we run away from our seasons uh, of waiting. And I love what John Mark Comer says. He says, love and hurry are incompatible. Love and hurry are incompatible. And he says this, this hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, a husband, and a pastor, even as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry, late for an appointment, behind all my unrealistic to-do lists, trying to cram too much into my day. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging, the antithesis of love. If you don't believe me, next time you're trying to get your type B wife and three young, uh, easily distracted children out of the house and you're running late, a subject on which I have wealth of experience, uh, just pay attention to how you relate to them. Does it look and feel like love? Or is it far, uh, far more in the vein of agitation, anger, abiding comment, a rough glare? Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply... Do not mix. And I think that's so true, right? We can resonate with, with, with what he's writing here, that any time we're not sitting in this rhythm and the spirit of God, and instead we're just in this hurry to get out, and we're just in this anxious state, it never goes well. Those are the times where we're the most vulnerable to arguments, to conflict, to anger, uh, to saying things that we want to take back. But what if, like Anna, like my friend I met who wants to just say hello to truck drivers, we're in a state where we just want to be at peace and to be still and to wait well. There's a story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, who were waiting for Jesus to arrive. And as they were waiting, uh, the two sisters responded in kind of different ways. Martha, and, and I can see my own mom doing this, and sometimes I'm like this too. Martha wanted to get the house perfect. Jesus is coming. I'm going to clean, I'm going to cook, I'm going to get all these things ready so Jesus, our guest, will feel like he's at home. And then when Jesus finally arrives, Martha's still getting to work and, you know, you know fixing the house up and making sure that Jesus is comfortable. And yet Mary is just, it says that Mary was sat at his feet to listen, just to listen. And I love what, Mary, what Jesus says. Uh, it says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. See, perhaps in our waiting, we're waiting for the wrong things. We're doing the wrong things. We're hurrying. And it seems like, if I'm reading this correctly, that there is a right way to wait and a, a kind of unhealthier way to wait. And Jesus says, Mary sat and just listened with the right and correct way to wait. See, I love, in Psalms 37 says, take delight in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, as we read this, it doesn't mean that when we take delight in God, that God will just be a magic genie and just give us everything our heart desires. It means that Jesus, God is just going to transform our hearts and implant the things that we should desire. And so, you know, Christmas is a great example. When I was younger, uh, when you were younger even, or maybe even now, like what's on your Christmas list? Like for me, it was like, I want a brand new bike. Even when I was a teenager, I want a new car or like I want the latest gadgets. I want all these things and coolest, you know, the latest and greatest. That's what I want for Christmas. Now, if you ask me what I want for Christmas, my number one thing is like socks, right? Like socks, pens, uh, you know, something more tangible and something, you know, books, you know, something that's much more practical, and I say this because oftentimes God doesn't always give us what we want, but God always, always, always gives us what we need. And what we need oftentimes is a heart transplant that as we delight ourselves in God, that the ways that we wait, the things that we wait for starts to shift. It's no longer am I waiting and the way I wait is hurrying and being anxious. It's the way I wait is going to be more like Anna. The things that we wait for needs to change oftentimes. For example, are you waiting for your spouse, your child, your friend to, to change their attitude, change the way that they treat you? Uh, is that what you're waiting for? Maybe the waiting, maybe the real true waiting needs to be in your own heart that you would love them no matter what. Are you waiting for your financial situation to change or improve or your job to change or improve? Maybe the waiting is not for all that to change or improve. Maybe the waiting needs to be in our own hearts for contentment that wherever you are, you will worship the Lord. Are you waiting for for something or somebody else to change or to do better or to stop treating you one way or to to whatever it is, but maybe that's the wrong way of waiting and the wrong thing to be waiting for and the correct thing to be waiting for is for us to say, you know what, I can change. I can't change you. I can't change my situation, but I can change me. And the thing I want to change and the thing that I can change is myself. But the power of God and the Holy Spirit in me. And so for for all of us, will you slow down? Will you listen like Mary? Will you turn your face and your ears and your eyes towards Christ? And will you sit at his feet? And will you choose the path of peace, of stillness, rather than hurry and searching for answers? Because it's in the midst of searching for peace and for Christ that something happens in our hearts that we wait, and the things that we wait for starts to change. And it's the things that God wants us to actually wait for. And lastly, she practiced gratitude. When we listen well, when we pray, when we fast, when we worship, we can't help but to have gratitude. To say thank you. Not to be so distracted for the thing that is preoccupying us, the things that are distracting us. But we have an opportunity to say thank you for the very things before us. What are the things that you need to say thank you for? What are the ways that we just miss out on showing gratitude? Maybe it's the people in your life. Maybe it's the things that you have. Maybe it's the position that you are in life. See, when we wait, this gets difficult. 
But when we wait well, when we listen, when we wait facing Christ, something magical, something crazy happens where our hearts and our eyes just open and we have a way to say thank you. So as I, worship, as I invite the worship team back up, I just want to ask you that, that simple question. What are you thankful for this Advent? Can you even name a few things that you're thankful for? Or are we so preoccupied in the very things that we're waiting for that we're just blinded, by what, by what, blinded towards what God has given us already? May this season of Advent, a season all about waiting, may we wait well. May we wait with anticipation. May we wait with listening and being calm. And the promises that we'll have opportunity to say thank you. Thank you this Advent season. So one way we do that here is by participating in communion. I'm going to invite the communion servers forward. Uh, and as we sing our songs of worship, may we see these elements as a symbol of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And that he was born to experience just that. And so as you partake, just know that this is Christ's body that was broken for you. And as you dip it into the cup, may you know that this was his blood that was shed for you. And in this Advent season, some of us were waiting for different things in our lives. And as you wait, may we wait well. May we wait with listening, not in a hurry. Let me pray. God, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. That even in the times of confusion and uncertainty and in the waiting, that we want to hurry, we want to be anxious, we want to run. That you call us to be still, to listen, and to know that we're loved. May we be like the prophetess Anna, where we worship and pray and give thanks for all things. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship. You can sing, you can come when you're ready.